This is Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping you become a product master, creating products customers love. Get ready for higher performance, for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad, and welcome back to Product Mastery. Today, we're talking about the product-led organization. And we've seen many organizations you know, in the last few years move towards more of a product group and a product role to be more prominent in the organization as well. That's good news for product managers and certainly good news, I think, for customers as well. We're going to get into that more, creating this clear focus on customers as we're working on product work. To help us explore this topic is the founder of Pindo and the author of the book, The Product-Led Organization, Drive Growth by Putting Product at the Center of Your Customer Experience. And if you don't already know him by name as the founder of Pindo, he is Todd Olson. He has joined us previously as well back in episode 185. As always, we take detailed notes of everything that we'll be discussing here with Todd. If you want to find those, you can go to productmasterynow.com slash 363. You also find a one-page action guide there to help you put into action some of the key takeaways that we'll be discussing. Todd, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Chad. It's great to be back. It is great to have you back. Really enjoyed our discussion before. Very much enjoy and appreciate what you do at Pindo to help out product people that are developing software products. We can certainly talk about that as well. But I want to get into what is a product-led company. We have, have seen the shift in product taking more of a role in organizations. and like to hear how you describe uh, what makes a product-led company. Yeah, so the way I describe it is, and look, there's, there's lots of terms out there. You'll, you'll hear terms like product-led growth. And product-led growth usually is meant to, to classify businesses who have a more self-service, less sales-oriented, frankly, less, less human-driven go-to-market process. And product-led growth is a piece of what it means to be product-led. For me, for me, it's just a subset. And, and what I'm really trying to capture is companies that put product at the center of the overall customer experience. And, and, and product-led companies, each and every department, is thinking about how they can use the product to better perform their activities. So it's less of like the product management team leading the business, and it's much more of everyone finding ways to leverage the product to better do their jobs. And another way I like to think of it is it's companies that, that do shift from more of a, a human-led motion to more of a product and digital-led. So that, that's kind of the, the characteristics that, that I, I see. Yeah, that's really good. You know, in the work that I do primarily with, with companies, helping them with what I call the rapid product mastery experience, quick plug, productmasterynow.com slash RPM to find out about that. A key thing I see shifting in the product teams and product manager groups is a change in how they talk about their product, right? Oftentimes, if I, especially working with an engineering group, they're talking in engineering specification language, you know, when we first get together. And a shift by the time we're done is they're talking about the customer and what is the customer value and what is the customer's problem. Um, and I think that's an aspect of, of what you're talking about here, right? Trying to get the whole organization thinking more about how does the product align with the customer's problem and the customer's need. Yeah. I mean, in essence, the product is the company in, in many ways. So, so it's not just about what the product performs as a function. It's then about the entire customer lifecycle and journey and how it's embedded in that process. I mean, like, you know, one of the examples I, I like to give, and it'll be a theme maybe for today's talk, is just, you know, Tesla as a product-led business. 
you know, for folks in the audience that, that have experienced buying one, but it is a very product led business, you know, and, you know, almost to a fault, you know, it, it you buy everything online. There is no real human. I, I guess there are now stores you can go into, but, but when I, there, there wasn't one in Raleigh when, when I bought one, to be honest. And I remember when the delivery happened, it's kind of like a little bit, you know, all digital. They sent me to some like, like abandoned gas station to pick up my car, right? So not really great, the human-led piece of it. I filled out some paperwork. They put me in the car. They basically told me how to get in the car, how to turn it on. At this point, I was a little nervous. But then once I drove away, like everything clicked for me. I was like, okay, I get it. And then since then, all of my interaction with the company is through the car, through my app, through all digital mechanisms, like all learning new features, you know, add-ons, service, like I don't call it, I mean, it's all part of the experience of the car. And so very, very product led. So where every aspect of the experience is, is, is through kind of a digital interface or for the, the car. So the car, by the way, has a giant screen in it, which is an entire digital interface. So, so I think that just one of the examples where it's just pretty extreme in my mind, but, but it really, really product led business. Yeah, it's a good example of what we're talking about for being product-led. There is that customer alignment aspect for sure that we're after meeting their problems, but the, the experience of the customer is with the product, and that yeah. is true for the, your Tesla experience for sure. Okay, so let's get into that customer experience a little bit more deeply because your, your book really talks about aligning product with the customer experience. And you say in there that the product is the customer experience, kind of just like you said that your product is the company. Um, and this begins with getting closer to customers and understanding what they want. And your book is full of tools kind of across the product life cycle in terms of the very beginning, how we go about thinking about a product and making it better, to deployment, to maintaining it with the customer. Kind of that first section, our tool is about understanding the customer more. There were some in there that were my personal favorites, but I just want to kind of ask you to, you know, pick out ones you're interested in and we'll, we'll talk through those. Well, geez, there's a bunch in, a bunch in the book, yes. so, and they're all good. They're, they're all good for different purposes. I, I don't know which one's your favorite, Chad, but like, look, I, I talk about empathy maps, you know, a bit in, in the book and I'm a big, big believer in them and, and it, because it's forcing the product manager and the product management team to really get inside the head of the customer. What are they thinking? What are they hearing? What are they experiencing? What are they, you know, ultimately, what you're trying to get to is, is just developing, again, deep empathy for what the customer is going through. Because a great product lies in understanding what your users are going through. So I think that's one of the great tools that's I think pretty easy to do. Look, there's there's no replacement for for watching a user use your software. You know, it's, you know, whether it's like a think aloud study or something to that effect. You know, lightweight usability test, like watching people. Like, it, I guarantee you, folks, if you've not done this on something you built, or even recently done it on something you built, like, like I, I did it years ago. I still get amazed when I watch a customer use some feature that, of course, we designed, we built. Like I go in, I click, 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 click. And then you watch a user like struggle knowing where to click it. We, we actually just did one recently in one of our product um, reviews. And like, you, like the whole room screaming, the button's over here. <laughs> <laughs> but the user can't see it. They don't know it. It's not obvious, right? right. It, it is, I mean, and of course, then it's like light bulbs are going after your head. Like, you know, why the heck did we put the button in the middle of the page, right? <laughs> Instead of like in the upper corner. Yes, design-wise, you can see the symmetry of the page. I understand why designers did it. But boy, there's little things better than just, I mean, what a way to drive empathy. Mm -hmm. like, like literally all of us in the room were practically screaming at the video when we're watching it. So like that, that to me is just, just a great tool as well. So like those are just two quick and easy ones, but there's lots to choose from. So 
Yeah. And those are well connected. And like you said, drive empathy inside the organization. Because my experience, you know, product managers, we, we kind of push this notion that we really need empathy as product people if we're out talking to customers. We need to understand their pains, what they want to gain, you know, what they're trying to accomplish here. But then bringing that back to the development team that, that's making our product, whether this is a physical product with engineers or a software product with computer scientists, getting them to have that level of empathy is a different thing. And I have found where there's kind of a disconnect between here's the requirements that I might bring back and the development team that is, is putting them together. And they don't really have that relationship with the customer or that appreciation with the customer. We don't get as much value in the end, it seems like, as when we really bring those together. And I love that example, you know, that you were creating empathy in the developers by them experiencing the situation with the customer, right? Yeah. I think that's critical. Mm -hmm. You know, I think, look, I always say that the product manager's job, well, they have lots of jobs, actually. There's like almost too, too many roles and responsibilities. But one of the main ones in my mind is making sure the development team understands why. Why are we building this? You know, I think you, you start and end with why. The what's a byproduct of it. And but the the what can change when you're talking with developers? So if developers are seeing it and they're getting empathy and they really understand the why, and you have this set of requirements, I think the best product teams, once that product manager is describing the what to the, the engineers, the engineer starts challenging the what because they understand the why. Mm. And they can say, Oh, I noticed that you know the, the requirements is have you thought about this? Or this would be a cool thing based on what I'm seeing. So it's the to me, it's the collaboration. Mm -hmm. I think great teams aren't just like product manager says build ABC, teams build ABC. I think best teams are product manager suggests ABC, teams like thrash a little bit on, you know, maybe it's DEF is actually the best thing to build, you know, because, but we have a deep sense of why. We understand why we're here. We understand what success looks like. That to me is how the, the magic of product development is when you get this like really, really deep collaboration between engineering and product yeah. and design. I don't really exclude design. So but like kind of that three-legged stool. So. Right. Yeah, that, that's a very tweetable phrase, a deep sense of why. I, I really like that. Um, and you talk about the collaboration there, the, the collaboration between the whole product team that we're not doing handoffs. But if we have development teams that understand the why, I love that, the, you know, the, the conflicts that we enter into as product teams that are productive is the, those discussions over, well, what's the best way to create more value for the customer here, right? What's the best way to, to remove that friction from, you know, the process that we have for them? You know, discussions over trying to optimize some goodness in the product is, is, are really valuable conflicts. Yeah. And you know, the other thing, you know, um, and I do this all the time, even now, you know, I mean, this is actually, you know, maybe a guilty pleasure, you know, you know, the CEO of the company, I don't get to build as much as I probably used to in the early days of the company, but I go and use things myself. You know, we, we, you know, this is like for many of us, we can be the own users of our own product. You know, you know some people call it dog feeding. Some people call it drinking your own champagne. Champagne's obviously more positive than better than dog, dog food. food, but I record myself doing it and send out videos. And, and then sometimes I'll brainstorm like what, what experience I would have liked better, you know, based on it. And that's what some of my favorite pieces, actually just using products. I mean, honestly, Chad, I don't do it enough in my role, but I love it. Like I really enjoy it. And uh, that's a great way to gain empathy as well. And, and it's different than the other case where you're watching a novice user. 
you get different in, in, insights from novice users versus expert users of software, but but both are valuable. Both are valuable because even an expert's when they trip up, it's like, whoa, <laughs> you know, but, but anyway, yeah, I think this is an area where I think we, we can all do this. Mm-hmm. What, you know, if we can't get a customer on the phone to do it, like I just use, like do it yourself, like record yourself, like talk out loud. Like, what were you expecting to see when you're using a new feature? Like that, that's the kind of stuff that I love. So. Yeah. Observations is one of my very favorite tools and the opportunity to get out into the wild, so to speak, where customers are and watch mm-hmm. them using products and watch them interacting with their environment to try to solve the problem. Uh, we, we often pick up insights that are really hard to get any other way. So I appreciate you mentioning that. This is a quick break to thank you for listening. And I'd like to recommend some recommendations for improving your product capability and helping your organization generate greater revenue. Whether you're a product manager or you lead product managers, you're going to find these recommendations helpful. They're based on insights I've learned after working with several organizations, helping them improve by using my Rapid Product Mastery Experience, or RPM Experience. The report contains 10 recommendations. The first one is worth getting the report all by itself, and you can put it into practice in only five minutes. I've shared it many times recently. For example, when a leader from Dell Computers asked what they can do to create a more innovation-oriented culture, the first recommendation was what they needed to change. Also, when a startup founder was struggling with conveying their value proposition, once again, the first recommendation showed him how to reframe the way they present their work. Further, when a product manager with several years of experience was finding interviewing for a new job with another company to be kind of challenging, the first recommendation showed him how to best position his experience for any opportunity. All that from only one recommendation. Now to get it and nine others in my report that's titled 10 Changes Product Teams Should Make Now to Consistently Launch Products Customers Love, simply go to productmasterynow.com love. That's L-O-V-E, love, because the recommendations will help you better create products customers love. Don't miss out on what other product managers, leaders, and innovators are already benefiting from. Go to productmasterynow.com love. It's worth a minute it will take you to do that and not miss out on what others are already putting into action. It seems like we should certainly talk about another tool being the use of data, seeing how we, we are have the Pindo context here as well and love the Pindo pink that's in your background on the video for people that are listening to this on audio. How about using data to get closer to your customer? Well, I mean, look, I found a company on this whole concept. So, yeah, I'm passionate around it. Look, I, I think all too often, all too often we have opinions of what we think are happening in our product. And, and then we go to these meetings and we have these arguments over different people's opinion of what's happening inside of our product. And that's where you get nowhere. You know, and, and you see this a lot cross-functionally. You see this like, oh, the, I don't know, the head of sales thinks people use our product for this reason or the head of success thinks that they're the product. You know, it's like, okay, folks, let's not sit around and like argue about what's happening. Let's just. Here's what's happening. Okay, what's the so what? What's the insight? What do we take away from this? So I think for me, I, I think a lot of analytics is just create, creating a level playing field, making sure we're 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 evolving our conversations from an argument of what we think's going on to what's actually going on. But then there's a lot of a lot of lessons in the data. You know, I think one of the places I like to start and 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 is on outliers. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I say look, there's plenty of insights you can glean from from aggregates, from trends, things going up, things going down, but, but, but wow, where do, 
like if you see an outlier, like every once in a while I'll go to areas of our product and I'll like basically just sort by like the top usage. And every once in a while you'll find a user that uses something like two times more than anyone else on our product. So that begs the question, why the heck are they using it more than double anyone else, right? That leads to like an exploratory mission. You kind of dig in, see what they're doing. And often what you find uh, in the outliers is some something they're trying to do with your product that you make it very hard for them to do. Hmm. So, so in my experience, when I find outliers, it's not a good uses pattern, it, but it's an opportunity for fixing something. It's maybe a use case we didn't think of, you know, in the, the early days of the company, you know, we, we, we saw, you know, we were measuring, you know, this one particular user using this feature, like a lot. And you think that someone using your product a lot's a good thing. No, it was bad. We were making it so painful. <laughs> For her to do what she was trying to accomplish, that she had to use it a lot. Now, look, it was awesome that we had good enough product market fit where she actually took the time to, to do it rather than just giving up and piecing out. Like a lot of us like don't have that luxury where if you make your use you know, your product painful, people may just leave, right? But we were lucky in that instance. But we used it as an opportunity to, to really then interview her and say, well, well, why did you do this? You know, and then we found out why, like, oh, light bulbs started popping off. Like, oh we could probably redesign this in a way that would cut the time that you have to spend to do it and, and ultimately create a more delightful experience. So, so I think these outliers are really interesting places to drive empathy uh-huh. and, and get a sense for what users are doing. And and one of the classic ones I, I, I love to think about too is like almost every product that exists in the world has some sort of export. Huh. You know, export to CSV. You know, it's so common. We have it throughout our product. Why the heck are people taking data out of our product? That means they can't do something in the product that they wanted to do, right? By your definition, if you're exporting it, I mean, yeah, maybe right. you're sending it to some other system. But the question is, where are you sending it? And what are you doing with it? And like, do you think anyone really loves using Excel all the time and like creating pivot tables and like slicing and dicing things? I mean, some of us maybe geek out on it, but like in the general average user, like it's usually you're trying to do something and you're like, shucks, can't do it. Let me export it and put it somewhere where I can. Uh-huh. So the question there, why are people doing that? Like, what are the use cases? How do we reduce that? You know, I, I think often we look at measurement, we're thinking, how do we, how do things constantly go up and to the right? How do we grow? Yeah, growth is critically important. And I'm obsessed over growth. But sometimes in product usage, we want things to go down. You know, we actually want people to use certain things less. And that, that to me is, in, you know, some of the magic of, of, of kind of knowing what features you want to go up and wants to go down and then, then, you know, actively measuring it and putting in goals and saying, look, and we actually have a goal around CSV now. We want to reduce usage of this feature in the next six months. And here's our roadmap to do that, you know, based on your reviews and experience and measuring, you know, what pages they're exporting on. So we, we can get all that sort of data. But that, that, that's a big part of how, how we help prioritize you know, and, you know, basically gain empathy via data. And look, at the end yeah. of the day, if you have a large product with lots of users, it's kind of hard to do it without data. Uh-huh. Like, because you you you're, you get, there's too many opportunities for bias, recency bias, you know, things like that. I mean, like, if you're just like talking to a customer and you're like, wow, we should go build that. Well, I mean, that'd be the smartest thing to do on one conversation, the most recent one, so. Right, yeah, it takes opinion out of it, right? You know, as one CEO once said that, you know, if we don't have data, then let's use my opinion. But that's better to have data, right? Mark's quote. Love that quote. So, <laughs> yep. 
It's a good one. Okay, so that, that's very helpful about the role of data. And, it, and as you said, it does help us with empathy, interestingly enough, too, because we have better insights into, again, what might be causing friction and what customers are actually trying to accomplish and what, what's useful to them. Excellent. I'm going to, for people that, that do find your book, I'm jumping to the last section of the, of the book now, where, you know, a new way of delivering a product. And then there are, again, a, a number of tools for us to get our hands around. You talk about road mapping, and roadmaps come up as a topic with users periodically, often in the context of, I'm dissatisfied with how we're doing roadmaps and what can, how can we make this a better experience, right, using roadmaps. And the dissatisfaction often is this tension, like we're locking ourselves into, you know, some commitment by putting this roadmap together. And we might find out along the way that that's actually not the right thing for us to be doing down the, down the way. Can you share how you think about structuring and using roadmaps? Yeah. In the book, I cover a couple of different ideas and, and that I've done in the past and do now. And, and first off, I mean, look, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a B2B software. Roadmaps are kind of a critical part of, of, of how kind of customers expect to buy, you know, and, and I often share with my team. And I think this isn't just actually B2B software. I think it's B2C software as well, especially now as informed of consumers, all of us are like, yes, we're buying products, but we're really investing in a company and in a vision. Like we're buying a vision. Like, like when you go out and you buy that Tesla, you bought the vision of it. And the thing updates every, you know, whatever, all the time. So, so like the roadmap matters, right? Like I'm buying the roadmap, you know, and I think because of that, I think it's, it's really valuable to, to put something out there. And you're putting something out there not because you're necessarily committing to I'm going to do this. To me, and you got to like look, caveat the heck out of it, put, you know, this is subject to change. You know, the, the, I often say that the later it is on the roadmap, the more likely it is to change. But what you're communicating, you're signaling is your direction. This is the direction that we're headed. If you want to partner with us, if you want to work with us, know that this is the direction we're going. Like, I got a phone with customers sometimes and we're talking about, they'll say, well, you know, hey, why should we go with you? And I say, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, I'm not here to convince you that you, you should be going with us. What I am going to tell you is why we exist, what our mission is, what our vision is, and where we're headed. And if who we are and where we're headed aligns with your business objectives, we're probably a good partner. If it doesn't, we're probably not. And we should part ways amicably and shake some hands, et cetera. So, so your roadmap is this communication vehicle of where you're headed. And it's either aligned with what the customer needs or it's not. So I think it's a it's an absolutely critical vehicle. You know, I, I think... You need to make sure that if you're communicating it, engineering team knows this is not a commitment. This is not sealed. Like, like I mean, often you don't even have to estimate some things like late in your roadmap. I mean, obviously, like who's going to estimate something like a year and a half in advance? Like no one in the right mind is going to do that. Like the architecture could change too many, too much risk. So you're just getting like a, you're probably working with a team lead. You're getting some swag, you know, is this like, you know, give me a sense, you know, t-shirt size, something to that effect. Um that's how we typically do it. The other thing that I, I share in the book, and this is a technique I actually have liked a lot, is instead of like a lot of times we lay out things into like calendar like views, months, quarters. By the way, a, a good suggestion to folks out there that this is actually, actually this goes for like usability designs. The the less polished the roadmap looks, the the, the you know in terms of like more abstractness, lower fidelity, the more it. it connotes to the end user that it like it's subject to change like things are like if it looks super polished you if you have like like 
you know, like a Gantt-like looking chart where things are like optimized to the month, maybe the day, people are going to think it's a commit. If you put this ships on like 9-17-2023, people are going to think of that. If you're saying like, we think it's going to come out in Q3, people get that it could be the beginning of Q3, it could be the end of Q3. <laughs> the three-month delta right there, folks. I just bought you not a commit. I bought you an intent. So, so like, don't make it high fidelity. Don't make it super specific. What people care about is like, hey, does this align up with where I'm trying to get to? Is this is this this company one I want to partner with? And I and, and what I share is sometimes I like doing in this calendar view. Sometimes I like a force rank backlog. Look, in products, we create force rank backlogs for a living. It's I both love it and hate it. Like like because you know you get like two things. What do you want more? We always want both, folks. But you got to pick. You got to pick. So sometimes I put a force rank backlog in front of the customers, and of course, what the customer do? No, I want both. No, folks, doesn't work that way. You got to pick. Force the customer to pick. When you force the customer to pick, you get a sense for what's most important. And I I, I feel this visual where it's a force rank list. The the size of the item is the t-shirt size. And there's a lines. The lines are the general calendar of what we think. So then you can see if I pull something up, something else moves down, the, the line stays the same. Like you can pull scope in, pull scope out. I think that's a pretty cool way of visualizing roadmap because it forces the customer to think in terms of the trade-off that you're thinking of. If you show like a bunch of swim lanes and a Gantt look, looking chart, they think they can get everything because they see a bunch of things lined up coming out at once. But if you show them into a force rank list, it forces their brain to think like you have to think, which is I can get one or the other, but not both. And that's the best. I mean, and so so all these things, again, they're all about communication. Right. And sometimes when you're, when you're showing your roadmap, the customer's like, whoa, I really thought this other thing would be higher. Well, well tell me about that. Like, is that a pain for you? Like, what do you think? You know, so that's something you're looking for. The other reason I like to show roadmap is that often customers want their thing. They want their thing. They care about their thing. When you show them the roadmap, they may see something that you have ranked higher that they weren't even thinking about. And they're like, oh, I want my thing, but the thing you're building is pretty important. I want that too. So you get this, that level of validation as well, which I love, which is people, you may be walking in a call where someone wants to see a roadmap, they want to see their thing, but when they see what you are doing and you explain the why behind its priority above their thing, one, they get empathy for you, and two, they often actually agree with the prioritization. More often than not, I've seen people agree. I mean, look, we're not like we, we obsess over this thing. I mean, I, I don't, you know, we talk to hundreds of customers, thousands of customers. I, I think we're probably usually right. I mean, I say we're always right, but some, but 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 often we are. So anyway, that, is that helpful? That's I mean, that's kind of how I think about roadmaps. Yeah, I, I like the force ranking view, and uh, we'll just point people towards your book to you know see an example of that but indeed making those pairwise trade-offs right doing a pairwise ranking of absolutely what is the order of deliverables to make here and having this as a collaboration tool i think we often think of roadmaps as a collaboration tool internally at least they they should be for us and maybe sometimes we try to keep them from sales because we're worried how sales is going to use them and how that's going to complicate our lives but thinking of them as a collaboration tool with customers as well to have them involved in the process of helping to rank some of those capabilities coming out. Um, I, I just love that idea of, of encompassing this in that collaborative space. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You mentioned the sales thing. I got to touch on this. This is like actually one of the things that the people, even some of my own company don't like about me, I think, but I don't like arming sales with roadmaps. We, we typically don't as a business. It's, I think a lot of companies probably do. We're one of the few that probably doesn't. And so I have a strong bias towards product managers presenting roadmaps. And look, as I always tell my sales team, like folks, this is an opportunity to introduce the customer to a product manager. Mm-hmm. That's good for the product manager and good for the customer. Right. So take the opportunity, like no product manager is going to say no when you say, can you do a roadmap review? So, so, but if you, I like that better than just shipping some document over to some sales team, they can present themselves. They all want to trust me. Like my, my head of sales engineering complains about, all the, why won't you just let us do the roadmap? It's like, it's not a let, it's not like a, it's a, this is, think of this as a good thing. You know, we're going to bring someone else in to help, help. And look, I also say everyone, the more people a customer meets from, from our company, the better. They're all good people. The more the more people, the happier the customer mm-hmm. usually. So uh, that's kind of how I think. Yeah, you're providing resources to the customer and helping them explore your vision a little bit more, right? And how you can help them down the road. So those are good things. Okay. Excellent. Love thinking through some of these tools. There are many more in the book. If you're watching this on the video, the product led organization here. So as listeners know, we love innovation quotes as well. I asked you to bring one for us and just share what that one means to you. Well, I told you today it was going to be an Elon Musk theme, so I'm going to go with Elon Musk innovation quote. So he said, great companies are built on great products. Couldn't agree more. You know, I think this is what it means to be a product-led business. You know, I think, you know, very often the, the product is the business or the company. So I think that that's the quote I've got for you today. That's a good one. It ties in very well, right? It's all about building great <laughs> products, and that makes great companies. How can people find out more about Pendo, more about uh, the book that we've been talking about, any other resources you want to share? Uh, so the book's on Amazon. Feel free to you know, just search for product-led organization or Toddles, and I think you'll, you'll find it pretty easily. You're, you're welcome to go to our website, www.pendo.io. We'll also have information about the book and product-led organization. I think we also have like www.pendo.io slash product-led. I, I can find out and like tweet that out or something to that effect. We do a product-led resource site. We also have this cool box. I think you can request on our website that comes with a, a book and some activities inside. So, but yeah, check out our website and, and look for me on social media and Twitter. Feel free to tweet, tweet at me if you, you like. It's just T Olson, T-O-L-S-O-N. Wonderful. And I will track down the link for the Pindo resources related to the book and make sure those are in the show notes as well, as, as along with the other links we talked about. Todd, really appreciate you being here. Likewise. Thanks for having me, Chad. Great. Always great to be here. And for product masters listening, thank you so much as well. Do remember, we take notes for you. You will find all those detailed notes at productmasterynow.com slash 363. Keep innovating. Thank you for listening to Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. By listening, you are becoming a product master, creating products customers love. Find additional resources at productmasterynow.com. Keep innovating.